0: Hi, my name is Roy Collin, and welcome to the show. I've also got five podcasts, The Awakening Podcast, Exposing Fraud and Corruption but with Solutions, The Crypto Podcast, talking about all things blockchain, NFTs, crypto, The Meditation Podcast, talking about all different types of meditation, but there's also meditations there from one minute to two hours. And the other one is The Learn Polish Podcast, so if you're interested in learning Polish, you can do that. And the other one is speaking with Roy Cullen, and I just have guests from around the world talking about either public speaking or also about their book or just general life in general. And you find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. I'm also a podcasting coach, and you see the QR code there, and it's also on my link as well. And if you're interested in actually going on some podcast shows and helping people doing that, or if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, DanielPacker.com. He helps people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay if you're successful. So be sure to check him out, DanielPacker.com. I hope you enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Crypto Podcast. You can find all our episodes of the Crypto on I guess today, not Dallas, USA. Serial entrepreneur, a lawyer that helps people legally reduce their taxes, which I'm sure you all want to hear. He's been into the currency since 2020, primarily Bitcoin. Please welcome Matthew Cercely. Did I do it correct? Yes, yeah,
1: you did, Cercely.
0: <laughs> so um, I suppose, I name mean, have just kind of touched on the thing, but uh, I see that you you're kind of Serial entrepreneur as well. Is it 14 businesses that you've had?
1: At least 14 different businesses I've had, from my very first one selling drinks on the school bus to several attempts at an online business, uh, previous law firms with a partner. Yep, just kind of always knew I wanted to work for myself and finally found some stuff that worked.
0: Very good. I mean, we're going to go into the taxes side, of the thing, and maybe the legal side as well. But uh, you might just let me know your own crypto journey.
1: So I I heard about it early on. I've, I've been a libertarian since I was 20. So, I mean, it was within a year of the white paper coming out. I heard about Bitcoin, but probably very foolishly ignored it, thought it couldn't work, thought it could never have any value, um, was kind of one of those jerks when it ran up to 20,000 the first time who didn't believe in it. And then when it crashed down to whatever it was, like three or 4,000 was a bit laughing at people who had, you know, put all their money into this. Um, and then had a real change in 2020 myself. Um, I became friends with a guy named Jack Spirko who has a podcast and he had gotten really into Bitcoin, I think 2017 or 2018. And was really pushing that, especially like bit Bitcoin and certain altcoins that really had good use cases. He was pushing. Um, so I bought my first Bitcoin in November of 2020. Um, I got in. I got really into R, the Pirate Coin, Privacy Coin, uh, that next year, and then did some trading, which. I actually did make some money at because it was during the the rise in 2021. Um, the tax consequences there were kind of atrocious for a U.S. citizen. And these days, I mostly just do Bitcoin. Um, I've, I still have holdings and a few others. but I don't think I've bought anything since 2022 other than Bitcoin.
0: And I suppose before we go into the taxes of the thing, because sometimes people don't actually believe there's uh, taxes so first of all you now you mentioned the bitcoin I I like to ask people who they think created it because I'm getting all different names nsa you know satoshi obviously and I'm just curious what's what's your thoughts on it
1: I don't know other than I'm pretty sure that guy who's been saying he started it for years didn't start it um no I I mean honestly there's a big part of me who thinks whoever satoshi was probably is no longer alive because um, I I don't think anybody would be able to keep the secret, so I assume it was some brilliant programmer who got in a car wreck or something, and we're never going to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I believe there's all the guy that's claiming it. If that was the case, he would just take <laughs> all the coins that are available instead of trying to do court cases and stuff like that. It's a bit strange. Eh? Well,
1: yeah, we we know one of, or we we think we know one of Satoshi's wallets. It's got. A ton of Bitcoin in it. It's like it'd be very simple, just like okay, I'm gonna on this day at this time, I'm gonna move fifty Bitcoin out of this wallet. Like that'd be pretty solid proof, like and so. that'd be pretty simple. And since he hasn't done it, I kind of don't buy it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, regarding exchanges and wallets, then what's your kind of take? Which is which do you find serves you best?
1: Um, I like um, Exodus uh, for my wallet. Um, I like the fact that it ties into the Trezor, so I can put money onto my Trezor software wallet, and then the Exodus will kind of keep track of what's there and what it's worth. But I can't take it off of the wallet without the hard wallet. Um, for exchanges, I, I mean, if like I'm just like telling somebody go buy Bitcoin, I'll tell them to use Coinbase. It's simple. It's it's easy to use. Um, I think it's just a good place for somebody who's starting out, uh, for a lot of my own purchases recently, I'm using, um, strike, um, not stripe, the credit card processor, but strike, um, it lets you, um, dollar cost average in very easily, um, there are restrictions based on where you live. So for example, I had a friend who could do it hourly when I could only do it weekly because I lived in Texas. But at this point, I mean, I can do daily dollar cost averaging just automatically, you know, $5, $10 a day um, at a preset schedule. And to me, that's really convenient. And again, some places you can do it hourly, which I think really takes advantage of some of the volatility of Bitcoin.
0: Excellent. So you mentioned like the taxes, because some people don't realize that there's kind of capital gains on the crypto. So you might just touch on that and can you carry losses from other coins if you're delving into a few of them.
1: Yeah. So and and again, this is very country specific and sometimes even state or province specific. So you know I know you have a bit of an international podcast. So don't, you know, if you're if you're not in the USA, don't assume this is all correct. Uh even if you're in the USA, don't assume this is all correct because there's still a lot of gray area in all of this crypto taxation. But pretty much if you do anything other than buy a coin for dollars or give a coin to somebody or receive it as a gift or transfer it from one wallet you own to another, there's going to be taxes owed. Um, oftentimes it's going to be capital gains taxes. The, the one most people don't think about is if you use one coin to buy another coin, legally that's considered a sale of the first coin by the IRS, and you're going to owe capital gains or have a capital loss on that sale when you buy the new coin and so especially a lot of these crypto trading schemes where you're going from coin to coin to coin to coin to coin coin, can just get very very hard to track what your basis is and what your actual tax owed is um and almost any sort of trading you're going to have capital gains usually short-term capital gains which can be up to 37 percent taxes that you owe um even nastier um in the usa and this was Clarified about a year ago, crypto mining is not considered a capital gain. It's considered a job. So not only do you owe ordinary income taxes on it, but you owe self-employment taxes on it, which can be an extra 15% on top of that. And if you're doing anything like that in sort of an IRA or other account where you normally wouldn't to pay taxes, you still owe taxes on it. And in fact, you may owe penalties. So I've seen lots of people get in trouble because, oh, it's, it's an IRA. That's all tax-free. No, it's tax-free for investments, not for a business. And the IRS has said that mining is a business and not an investment. So that's the the most recent way people have kind of gotten in trouble. Um, and to me, it's stupid. Like I, it it shouldn't be taxed that way. To me, it should be taxed much more similar to, you know, if you if you're a chair factory, you don't owe taxes when you make a chair. You owe taxes when you sell the chair. And I don't see how legally somebody who's mining isn't essentially creating the crypto coin. And so they don't they shouldn't owe taxes until they sell it. But that's not what the IRS says. Instead, you owe tax when you create it, and then that becomes your basis. And you know, when you sell it, you then have another capital gain or capital loss. You definitely can in most countries use losses from one coin to offset another or even Losses from coins to offset stock gains, it's all considered the same type of gain. Um, and there's definitely a little bit more versatility in, in crypto in some countries now. Certain rules apply specifically to stocks that don't yet apply to cryptocurrency, but I assume that's coming.
0: And with, like I know in real estate, especially in the States, that there's, you can defer the capital gains. Is there any way of doing that in the crypto world? Not
1: in the United States. Uh, That's called a um, a 1031 exchange or a like-kind exchange. And specifically, the IRS has said that does not apply to crypto, which, again, I actually think there's a very solid legal argument that it should. Um, But as a practical matter, even if it did apply, there's so many rules you have to follow for a 1031 exchange. Nobody's following them for crypto. Like, one of the big things is when you do the sale, um, the money has to go into an account that you don't touch. There's a custodian holding on to that money until you buy the new property. And absolutely nobody's doing that. So even the few people who maybe would want to try to challenge the IRS on that, they haven't gone through the steps to be able to legally challenge it because they're not using the, the proper form. I have heard in a couple of countries they are allowing that. Um, I heard, I think Italy allows that, but not an attorney in Italy. Do your own
0: research. And because there are some countries that there is no capital gains on crypto. If somebody's making massive amounts of money, are they able to just decide, okay, wait, before I cash in, i move to just let's say it's Malta? I'm not sure what the tax is in Malta at the moment, but we'll just say it's Malta that they move there. Are they still liable under the, the U.S. when, even if they live for over 181 days there, if they decide, okay, I'm this is now my new residence before they cash so, in?
1: So the U.S.A. is a great place to live, but it's a terrible place to be a citizen. Because if you're a U.S. citizen, you owe taxes no matter where in the world you live. So if you're a U.S. citizen and you go to the Cayman Islands or Monaco or Switzerland, all countries that don't have capital gains... Those countries won't tax you on it, but if you're a U.S. citizen, the U.S.A. will still tax you on that. Now, if you're not a U.S. citizen, yeah, from what I can can figure out, uh, the Cayman Islands, Monaco, Switzerland, they don't have any capital gains in general, um, and so those are places where you could go if if you were, you know, a French citizen or a U.K. citizen, and if you follow enough rules, you probably could sell your stuff there. Um, but I know in particular France has passed laws basically saying if you're some sort of a high net worth individual and you move out of France, you may owe exit taxes. And obviously they'll count your crypto in that wealth if they can prove it's yours. So um, are there ways to do it? I'm sure there are. And Unless you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in gains, it's probably not worth the effort.
0: Now, oh, I'd be talking, yeah, if someone's making in the millions, you know, if they've just got lucky, bought, bought it on the pennies, and, you know, they they they, they strike it rich there. And, like with the, you know, you've got the Federal Reserve, which isn't federal, they've got the printing press. And then I forget the name of it because I look deep into sovereignty and everything. And even the kind of the whole taxation thing seems a bit strange that I don't know, do they legally kind of have to do it if you kind of know ways of sidestepping it? But I, I know that there's one country, I'm not sure if the US is included, but there's apparently hundred and odd countries. And if they're putting money towards military, towards wars, you don't have to pay the tax, you put it into a trust. Just, did you have you heard anything about that?
1: That goes around every couple of years in the USA. Um the IRS does not agree with that interpretation of the law. You you can't pick and choose. Um and, and it's it's not just war. I mean, I, I know libertarians who've like, basically, like, yeah, I want to pay for the roads, but I don't want to pay for the welfare state. Um, it, the, every, every, again, in the United States and in every country I've heard of, you can't just not pay your taxes because you disagree with where the money goes. They basically say your way to deal with that is to vote to get what you want to happen with your taxes done. Uh, I'll tell you what the IRS, the IRS considers that a particularly egregious tax scheme. And you're basically not only owe any interest for unpaid taxes, but they will prosecute you for tax fraud uh, if you do that sort of a thing. So, um, I mean, I, I, again, I'm as libertarian as they come. I believe taxation is theft, but I also believe they have all the guns. And if they're going to throw you in prison, you lose. Even if you're right, you lose. And I don't want to go to prison. I've got a wife and a family. So, yeah, I'll follow the rules as much as I have to. To avoid getting in trouble, but that's also why I help people with taxes because there's there's a lot of people paying way more in tax than the IRS expects them to pay, and you know it it can be life changing if you go from paying you know forty thousand dollars a year in taxes to thirty thousand dollars a year in taxes, ten thousand dollars a year in your pocket tax free essentially is a life changing thing for most people.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, if we go back to the whole tax thing, I mean, I don't think anybody has a problem if the schools are actually, you know, being upgraded, teaching the proper stuff and the hospitals are there. We've got the roads without the potholes, but I know, I I hear, I mean, I keep an eye on in the States, I know in Ireland, the UK and in Poland, I mean, I feel like I'm having an epileptic fit at some stages when I'm driving because there's so many potholes and sometimes I don't know, am I in the hole or am I on the road? But like... When you see that and you know that like for example ireland recently spent sent something like 800 000 euro to bring the animals for the ukrainians back in yet they've thrown around homeless so when people see the money kind of abused that's when they kind of realize hey this is better in my own pocket than theirs so let's look at the ways that people can kind of keep it in their pocket because for example i mean i'm entrepreneurial i've had a lot of companies over the years And I remember in Ireland, I got, because I was doing property in Poland and I had one company in Ireland for it, and I was getting a tax bill. And I had read a book called Tax Magic by a guy from The Revenue that had actually written this. And I went into, and these were auditors as well. So like not just a kind of a one-off guy kind of doing my accounts. And I said, can I do this, 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 this? Yeah, you can. And I ended up getting a tax rebate. And with all the companies that I've got in Poland, they never tell you. And I'm I'm wondering, do they get a kickback for the money that they're actually declaring? Because you would think it's in their interest to look after their clients and try that they make, they pay as little as possible. But to be honest with you, from what I see, you have to look after yourself. Or obviously, because I've heard you on a few shows, I know that that's what you're doing. But like, is that what you're seeing in the States? Like that they're not really helping people? So
1: the fact of the matter is most accountants are just people to do math. They're not people who are really trained to you know, plan out what to do, how to reduce taxes. Um, I, like, it, the sad thing is a really good accountant will do your taxes, will tell you, you, know, you owe this much money And then we'll mention, oh, and hey, I saw this, and if you change this for next year, maybe you'll pay less. Um, There's a very small set of CPAs, and I'm not a CPA, I'm a lawyer, but a small set of lawyers who we call ourselves tax planners or tax advisors. And we kind of specialize in helping people reduce their taxes, again, following the rules, following the guidelines of the IRS, but hey, if you do this, you pay less tax. And sometimes it literally can be as simple as just you put something in one box instead of a different box in the tax form. Usually it's a lot more complicated than that. Usually it's it's not when you're filing your taxes. It's what are you doing this year in 2024 so that when you file your taxes in 2025, you legally owe less. Um, 99% of the U.S. tax code says you don't owe tax if you do something. It's like 1% says you owe the tax and 99% says you don't. But almost in that entire amount applies to people with businesses. So the, the first thing you want to do if you want to avoid taxes you need a business. And it needs to be a legitimate business. You can't just be, oh yeah, I'm again, you see these YouTube videos. You know, you want to buy a camera? Say you're a photographer and buy the camera for your business. And now is a tax write-off. It's a little more complicated than that. If you don't actually look for clients or you know, take on any clients or do any photography, the IRS may not allow that as a deduction. But especially in the day of, of the modern internet, again, like it's not that hard to start some sort of a business and it doesn't need to make very much money to be considered a business, but then you can start writing things off. And it could be as simple as writing off your home internet because you have a home internet business, writing off your cell phone. Cause you use your, your phone in the business. And again, there are rules. Maybe you can only write off some percentage of it, but any little bit helps. Um, my favorite trick, and this works particularly well in the United States, but it, I know it works in some other countries too, is that by hiring your kids, you can avoid a lot of taxation because they get their own tax brackets and their own standard deduction. So this year, you can pay your kid fourteen thousand dollars, you can write that off of your taxes, and they owe no income tax on that. And then you can take that money and spend it on stuff you would have spent it on for them anyway. So you know, my my kid is in Scouts. So I pay my kid, and then my kid pays for scouts. My kid pays for music lessons. My kid pays for basically – like I can't make her pay for food. I can't make her pay for housing. But any hobby she wants to do, if she wants a new video game, she pays for all of that out of the money I pay her. But again, by doing that, I'm not paying my 28% tax on average. I'm paying 0% tax and get paying that to her, and then she's paying 0% tax on that income. Um, So that can be absolutely huge. And again, that that sort of thing works in almost every country. You may still owe some sort of employment tax in some places, but in the United States, there is a waiver that can apply if they're your own kids. So you don't even owe the the payroll taxes, the social security,
0: anything like that, if you do it right. And when they're buying all these different things, games, music lessons, whatever it be, must keep receipts and do a return? Or is it just that you're below a certain bracket and there's nothing needed for it
1: so so they don't need to do receipts for what they buy any more than i need to do receipt keep my receipts for my groceries um there there are forms that we fill out i give them a w-2 form for working for me showing that they paid this amount um there is a thing in the tax code saying if your income is over i think it's a thousand dollars you're supposed to file a return but there's a separate thing that says there's no penalty if you don't actually owe any taxes. And so again, with these like with my kid, my kid hasn't owed taxes in the past three years I've employed her, so we haven't even bothered to file the form. And like I'm not, if we were doing withholding, we'd have to do that. But I don't have to do withholding on her. So just I, you know, I cut her the check, I document it in my books, I send her a W-2 at the end of the year, I send that to the IRS they basically see oh look like it's five thousand six thousand dollars it's way less than the standard deduction nothing's necessary um I, I have clients who have gotten letters from the irs basically saying where's your kid's tax return and they just respond to the letter saying no taxes owed and sometimes the irs alone would say well no file a return anyway and then you file a return it takes especially in that case it takes like five minutes because you know it's like okay income seven thousand dollars standard deduction zero done like you don't need to waste all your time with all the other stuff because you know it's going to be zero so why put everything in
0: and because i know in some countries as well especially if there's only one person working that the spouse can go under the, the doesn't it loans for that as well is that kind of similar in the states can they do that that you've to uh, employed the wife if she wasn't working
1: Yes, but actually in, in the United States, usually you're gonna raise your taxes or leave them the same if you hire your spouse in the business. Um, there are times when it makes a lot of sense, but so so there's a way to set up your company in the United States to where only some of the money you earn is taxed by for what we call self-employment taxes, which are the exact same rate as payroll taxes, fifteen point three percent. And if you don't set up your company properly in the United States, you're going to pay that full 15.3% on every dollar you make plus your regular income taxes. But there is a way to set your company up called an S-corp where you only pay that 15.3% on some of your money. Well, if you then go and hire your spouse, you're going to pay that 15.3% on everything you're paying them, whereas, again, some of that you would have taken to yourself and not paid So it's usually not a good idea in the United States to hire your spouse from a tax standpoint. Now there are some some rare times when it makes sense um, by putting money into Social Security for them. They may qualify when they maybe wouldn't because they didn't have enough income. Maybe they were a stay-at-home mom for twenty years. Um, the other time that can make a lot of sense is if you're if you're doing really well with your business, you know, and let's say you're putting away you know, 50 dollars dollars $70,000 a year into retirement savings, you can do that with a solo 401k. Um, but at some point you're capped. Well, if you can hire, with a solo 401k, you can hire your spouse or you can hire your kids and they can put money away as well. And so I do know one family where they want to put away about $120,000 a year in their retirement savings. And the only way to do that is to pay the wife so that she can then put has earned income to put it away in that solar 401k, and in the short term, you know, it means this year they're paying more in taxes, but with all the retirement account savings, they'll pay less long term, so they're okay with that.
0: And because I like just was because in, in Ireland, when you hit 50, you can uh, you know, cash in on your pension, you get 25% tax free, but it's 50% for the rest, and I like. Sometimes, I'm not sure about in the States, but like, you know, they're kind of claiming it'll be X amount and all it is is fees and everything. And people are putting away all this money till they're 65 or whatever age that they're going to do it. And is it really the best way to be doing things? That's perhaps sometimes buying a few investments might work out better.
1: Yeah. I So, in fact, it's funny. I'm doing a, a class on this tonight. Um, on uh, retirement accounts in America and how they work. Um, It's better than nothing. If you are a standard worker who just works for somebody else, there's not a lot you can do to avoid taxes. And so setting up one of these retirement accounts in the United States, it's a lot better than nothing because you'll get Social Security, but Social Security payouts are very small. I mean, current payouts at the the top end are not $2,000 a month. It's pretty hard to live, th- even if you're married. Like you're getting less than four thousand dollars a month, it's pretty hard to live on that, the way most people want to live. So setting money aside for the future in some sort of retirement account is a great start. And in America, you can do that with crypto. So I have a Bitcoin IRA, where, and it, it's, it's what's called a Roth IRA. So I paid the, I didn't get a tax deduction when I put the money in, but when I sell that crypto. It'll be tax-free on the gains under federal tax law. So, and I, frankly, I did pretty well. I managed to to do that when it was about seventeen thousand um, dollars, and now it's you know whatever it is. Uh, I haven't actually checked it in a couple of days, but I know it's doubled in value since then. Again, I can't touch that money now. I'm too young, but when I take it out, that's going to be tax-free for me. So that's going to work out pretty well. Um, but no, that it you're far better off. Investing in the future with a business or with real estate, which is a business, but just one you can, you know, buy a lot easier than most other businesses. And I mean, that's what I do. I own real estate. I have six uh, properties that I'm an owner of or a partial owner of. Um, I invest in the stock market. I invest in crypto. You know, I have a day job, but then I have my business where I make money on the side. I think that's kind of the the really the real way to build wealth for most people these days is, you know, build up a couple of different things going on. Um, and especially like I got fired a couple of years ago, you know, having my side business that brought in some money and having my real estate that basically paid the mortgage on my house was really convenient. Let me tell you, it meant that I didn't have to run out and get a job the next week. I, I kind of sat there for about 45 days and it's like, is this the time to just take my own business and try to make my own business my full-time gig now? Um, and even kind of like, let's that, see what that's like. Let's spend the next 30 days trying to drum up more business now that I can do this full-time and see how it works. That wasn't a good for me, me at the time, but again, I, mean, I didn't have to panic. I had all these different things going on. And my real estate saves money on taxes. My business saves money on taxes. Um you know, it's like, in theory, I should be paying nearly 30% tax rate on my money for my business. But by taking things I want to do and paying for that with the business, I'm not doing it. I'm going to a conference uh, that I've been to for the last couple of years in April. And that's a business expense for me. I'm basically hanging out with with my friends for four days. So it's a lot of fun, but it's a business expense. And in fact, this year, I'm going to be a speaker there. So it's obviously a business expense. I mean, if you're, if you're being paid as a speaker to go there, that's a business expense, pretty clearly. But you know, you can take this five hundred, this thousand dollars, this fifteen hundred dollars, and by turning it into a business expense, now you don't pay taxes on it, and you can do a lot more when you set up your life that way. You got again, you got to follow rules. You can't just say, oh, this is a this is a business expense without a business, without a justification for it. And, you know, taking a, a trip to Vegas, is may be easy to qualify if you go to a conference, taking a trip from me to Paris, it's going to be really hard to justify that as a business trip in my business. Um, so you got to follow the rules, but that's what I do. I help people learn the rules and then kind of follow the rules. I, I call it taxation judo sometimes, you know, using their own rules against them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Have you gone down with like trusts? Because I see a lot of people, they set up trusts to kind of protect their money and avoid, well, I suppose, tax optimization as opposed to instead of tax avoidance.
1: Yeah. In the United States, trusts don't normally save you money. In fact, depending on how you set them up, they can raise your taxes considerably. So the, the, the main benefit of a trust is you can get a lot more privacy. Um, so this, this is, especially my, my higher net worth clients, like once you've got half a million dollars that you're investing someplace, I think it's worth spending the money on some asset protection and some privacy protection. And trust can definitely be very effective for that privacy uh, protection because it can be, it, it, it's difficult to find out who the beneficiaries are. And even once you do, well, they don't own the money, so you can't just get it from them. Uh, similarly you know you can put a lot of what you have into a trust and make it you know god forbid if you cause a car wreck and kill someone now it's a lot harder to get to those assets because they're in the trust um but trusts either pay your same tax rate or they pay a much higher tax rate they, they pay the highest tax rate in america um so i, I think it's once they have ten thousand dollars in income it's like a 37 percent tax rate so it doesn't take very much money for for the trust to make uh before it's a very very punishing tax rate because the irs wants your money out of the trust and more productive whether it's for them or for you um but no there's definitely stuff you can do with trust and there are some some write-offs so one of the really common things in the bitcoin community when bitcoin was back up in the sixty thousand dollar uh coin range was something called a charitable remainder trust And so a charitable remainder trust is a really complicated thing you legally you give your bitcoin to a trust for charity but during your life if there's any income from the trust it can just give you the income so it basically you can take the coin you know maybe you you bought it for ten thousand and now it's worth sixty thousand dollars you you put this in this trust it now sells the coin. It has $60,000 it can invest, and basically any of the money it makes on that investment, it can pay out to you almost like a dividend during your life. Then when you die, all the money in there goes to whatever charity you designate. This is a little risky. Like, there are people who, who did this to set up, oh, I'll, I'll make you know, 5% money for the rest of my life. Well, if they die in a year, they made 5%, and now all of their Bitcoin money went to this charity and not to their family um but it, it's a it's a good way to get some tax savings another similar thing if you have any sort of asset that has appreciated in value a lot whether it's a stock or a crypto coin you can usually give that to charity and get a write-off for the full amount without having to pay the taxes on it so this is a strategy my dad taught me when i was 10. you know he had bought some stock that had you know gone in value from like a thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars and he was going to give $10,000 to the church that year. Well, he gave them $10,000 in the stock. He got the $10,000 write-off, but he never had to pay the gain of the $9,500 gain on that $10,000 in stock. Um, most countries have similar rules to this, but in, in, in the United States, there's particular rules when it comes to crypto. You have to work with somebody to do it the right way. Um, but especially when there's been a big run-up, if you've got a lot of gains, it's a way to do something with those gains um, and avoid some of the taxes on it legally.
0: Like the amount of legislation in in most countries, but I, I know in the States, because I mean, half the audience or more actually of this podcast is from the States. Is there any book? that you'd recommend because like I know from in Ireland that this book was like gold it was like what we discussed earlier about the kids and stuff and even sometimes like if you have a house you can't deduct the whole house but you can deduct a quarter of your rent because it's a room that you use for your business and a quarter of your electricity and all that kind of thing and all these things add up is there any book in the states that you'd recommend that kind of gives you great advice for these things
1: Yeah, so, um, and I think maybe a new version of this book just came out this year, actually. Um, It's called Tax-Free Wealth. It's by a guy named Tom Wheelwright. Um, And he is Robert Kiyosaki's CPA. So the rich dad, poor dad, guys, this is his CPA. And yeah, I'm looking at it on Amazon. The third edition of his book was just released like three weeks ago. I have not read the third edition of the book. I I read the first and the second edition of the book when the second edition came out. Um, I've heard him talk about the third edition of the book and the changes. That to me is one of the best ways to gain a basis for you know. it, It it you'll learn enough to ask good questions and to start learning some more. Um, again, it's not going to be a masterclass in every way to save taxes, but it will give you kind of a starting point to really get what's going on. So, um, you know, he's a competitor of mine, but he's very, very good. Frankly, he's not a competitor of mine because he works with people who make you know a hundred million dollars a year, and I work with people who make a hundred thousand to a million dollars a year, mostly. Um, but that's a, a great starting point: is tax-free wealth. Um, again just to get the basics and again it's been updated within the past 30 days so it's very up to date Hmm. which is the downside to so many tax books like great i have this book from 10 years ago when the tax code was totally different so probably half of it's no longer applicable anymore um in general i i do advise people not to read most tax books because they're not up to date um, and it's it's very common to see advice that's like, well, yeah, that advice was great six years ago, and then this rule changed and it doesn't work anymore. Um, so as and the most important thing is, anytime you're trying to do anything complicated, work with somebody. You know, go hire a CPA, go hire an attorney, go hire somebody to work with to make sure that what you're doing actually works. Um, it's 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 especially common in America because we have federal taxation, but then we have state taxation. Um, I found a great strategy for one client that was going to save him $10,000 in his federal taxes. The problem was with this change, California was going to charge him $15,000 more in taxes. Obviously, we didn't do that because his taxes were going to go up. Um, That's an extreme example, but it can happen that you can do something to lower one tax and raise another one even more if you're not careful.
0: And cause I hear a lot of people in the States, especially from California, moving to the likes of Florida or Texas. And, you know, I I hear even of companies, Delaware, that's supposed to be a lot better than others. Can, does the person have to live there or can they just have like say a business address to apply the taxes in that state? What's the kind of rules regarding the kind of getting lower state taxes?
1: Um, It kind of depends on the state. So. So California and, and New York, which have very high taxes, tend to be very aggressive with their taxes uh, to the point that New York is going after people who lived in New York, who now work remotely, but they're working for New York companies, even if they live in Florida. New York is saying, no, no, you, you're, you're earning your income from a New York company, and you lived in New York when you started the job, so you still owe New York taxes. Um, I don't know that they're going to win on that, but they're going to make a lot of people's lives really miserable. California is kind of the same way. They don't – like if you live in California, they say you're going to pay the taxes. Even if your business isn't in California, you're still going to owe the taxes on that. But some other states are a lot more lenient. it. Um, oh, I think it's Oregon. And I'm not a lawyer in every state, so you know, again, this is kind of what I picked up as I went along um oklahoma oklahoma has an income tax but they're pretty lean on collecting it um and there are a lot of people i understand who will set up an llc in texas where there's no income tax um and run their business through their texas company and thus avoid the state income tax of oklahoma so again are there ways to do that absolutely do they always work absolutely not
0: and as as you mentioned they're they're constantly changing so you have to keep your finger on the pulse
1: exactly i mean it, it is like one of one of my very first clients was somebody who had a fantastic tax plan set up for them by somebody in 2002 and they hadn't updated it a bit and it's like okay uh this doesn't work anymore this doesn't work anymore this works but it doesn't work the way it used to, so you're not saving as much. Like, I mean, they were literally paying about $8,000 more in taxes than they should have been every single year because they had just hadn't kept their plan up to date. Um, and, and again, like, it, there, there are big changes in the tax code. I mean, when you know Trump managed to ram through a huge change, the biggest change in the tax code in my lifetime, uh, what a lot of people forget is almost the entire tax code goes back to the way it was before that in two years. And in 2025 and 2026, it's set to all revert back, higher tax rates, lower standard deductions. And so that's that's the thing I'm working on with my clients now is telling them, it's like, hey, guys, you have a scheduled huge tax increase coming. Let's try to save as much money as we can now, and your taxes will still go up, but maybe we can get it to where in two years when this happens, maybe it will at least be break even to where we are today. And if I could do that, like that's a big win because for most people in America, their taxes are going to go up uh, by something like 10% to 15% in two years unless something changes.
0: Okay. What are kind of common mistakes that you see people are making? That Because I know that not everyone's going to hire you and sometimes people yeah. are watching the pennies they're trying to do it themselves. What are common mistakes that you see? Across the board, um,
1: the first and most common mistake is just not doing anything. You know, basically, I, I see some people who are just like, "I can't. I, I taxes are too hard. I can't learn anything. I'll just make more money to make up for it." And that's that's a really good idea. Like, if you're making ten thousand dollars a year in your business, go make more money in your business. Don't worry about the taxes. You're not going to pay any tax on ten thousand dollars. I mean, you will, but it's so small. Like, it's not worth your time to spend hours and hours and hours to avoid it. Go make more money. Um, setting up the proper structure. Again, I talked about that S corp earlier, something like 80% of small businesses will pay the, uh, the smallest amount of tax possible as an S corp. So getting that set up is kind of the number one thing for most people. The other thing I just see is again, not, not even learning about different deductions. So like people, most people in business know, oh, I can take a deduction on what I spend for my business but then they don't optimize that. They don't think about, well, what what could I do? Um, And my favorite question is not, is this deductible? My favorite question is how can I make this deductible? So I was working with a guy who he is a salesperson. He's a traveling salesperson for tactical equipment and firearms. And so basically he travels all around, not with the guns because he's in states where you can't really travel with them very easily. But he goes to basically gun stores and tries to get these gun stores to buy from the person he's working for. Well, he wants to take a trip uh, on safari to Africa in two years. And so he called me up and was like, hey, can I write this off? And it, my, my first reaction was, I don't really see how it fits. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hunting, but you're, you don't do hunting stuff. But then I sat down and I thought about it and I worked with him and I like, okay, your current business, this isn't a business expense, but what if you were to change your business? What if you were to start putting out hunting guides? You already hunt in New York and in Pennsylvania every year. Put out some hunting guides and start selling them on your website and set up a blog where you go over hunting tips. And now this hunting trip to safari is partly research for your next book. Is the whole thing going to be able to be written off? No, but we're pretty sure we're going to be able to write off about $5,000 of it, which again, just by planning ahead, we can do that. So it's like, again, it's like, what can I do? How can I change things? And again, that's, that's the hiring your kids thing, like, instead of earning money, and then using your after tax money to pay for them, hire your kids legitimately have them work. I mean, my, my, she just turned 12 this week. uh, But when she was 10 years old, she was my bookkeeper. And you know I paid her a hundred dollars a week to keep my books which is probably a little bit too much for what she was doing but um, and again like suddenly I was saving over a thousand dollars a year in taxes just by paying her and the, the crazy thing is like I have a friend who's also does tax advice for people and this is a common thing you know have your kid be your bookkeeper have your kid be your social media manager or whatever Well some of these kids turn into businesses. He had one client who when – it hired him when the kid was like 11 and started doing dad's bookkeeping. By the time the kid was 16, the kid had a bookkeeping business making $40,000 a year by doing bookkeeping for other local businesses. I mean can you imagine being 16 or 17-year-old and having a full-time income and having a business? So like, that's the other thing. This, this can turn into not just a tax savings thing but teaching – I mean it, My kids become a lot better with money because it's like, here, here's your pay. And you got to spend this on all the fun stuff you want to do. You don't just get to ask me for $20 here, 30 bucks here. No, I'm going to tell you, where's your ATM card? Go pull out the money from the bank. You got money. And it's amazing how when it's her money, she's a lot more selective about what she wants to buy and what she doesn't want to buy. So I think there's lots of other benefits for kids other than just the tax benefits for you for doing this. But it all just comes from again sitting down and planning out ahead what can i do how can i do this what can i take and make it into my business how can i change my business to fit into doing you know i this thing i'm going to do anyway but now i can pay for it as a business expense or partially as business expense and save the money that's what people don't do because they're all afraid of taxes yeah
0: yeah what's uh what's your thought on regulation with the crypto world
1: um, there's way too much of it, and it's it's obvious the regulators don't understand crypto. Um, and it's really nasty because, especially in the United States, different agencies are all trying to regulate it, but they're all regulating it differently. So um, the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, has called most crypto coins securities. And legally, I think they're correct. Something like Ether, I think legally is a security under U.S. law. Um, But the IRS has said, no, none of them are securities. They're all just property. Well, different rules apply to property and taxation than securities and taxation. But so you have one U.S. agency saying it's a security and one saying, no, it's not a security. And so if there's a third regulation, it's like, well, what is it? Is it security or is it not a security? We don't know. Um, And again, part of the problem is just like, again, like they don't understand it well enough to really even be rational in some of their decisions. Um, now it's again as a practical effect. Like, if you're not on an exchange, it's pretty hard for them to know what the heck you're doing with it. Um, I mean, Lord knows there's lots of people who are buying and selling crypto for cash, you know, with somebody they know, and that works great for you know, $500 or a thousand dollars. You're not going to sell you know, $200,000 of Bitcoin for cash, or I wouldn't. That's – I don't want that much cash on me. Um, like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm super hardcore libertarian. I don't want any regulation at all. I know they're going to regulate it, and so I wish they would just figure it out and then stop messing with it. Like, we'd be better off if every country would just finally sit down, okay, here are the rules for crypto. Go about with your lives. It's, it's these gray areas that, again, are really nasty. And again, I talked about one of the ones that got closed was crypto mining officially became, again, essentially a job or a business in the United States, which is terrible for taxation. It's the worst possible taxation there is in the United States. Um, and so, like, I kind of wish that gray area was still open because most people didn't think that was going to be how it was going And I know a lot of people who suddenly, like, they went from being profitable to not profitable because of the tax consequences in their mining. And, of course, they also did this last year when it was basically impossible to make money mining anyway. So it was just kind of a kick in the face um, at the time. So, yeah, again, it'd be nice if they would just make up their minds and set the regulations and then get out of the way. We're getting there. But, I mean, it's going to be another decade at least before a lot of this stuff is cleared up, I think.
0: And just finally, like, a lot of people, they believe that there's secrecy with the blockchain technology. And it's like, why tell Uncle Sam? Irrespective of whether you're a US citizen or anywhere in the world. And I've heard of Monero on different things. But personally, I think they have access to everything. Because no matter what they do, I think it's <laughs> untraceable. But for those that have that kind of thought process?
1: Um, so first of all, um, the the blockchain is not anonymous. It's pseudonymous. Like, if somebody figures out which, which part of the block is yours, they can figure out you own it. And that's actually pretty easy to do just by buying from you. So you know, I accept crypto for my services. Not many people want to pay me in crypto, but I do take it. If somebody wanted to figure out, you know, where my stuff was, they could just pay me and they could watch the transfer and track it. Now I have multiple different accounts so that people can't see, you know, what all my cold storage stuff basically when they pay me. But there's certainly the 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 uh, the FBI has gone after people by basically paying them and then tracking individual uh, accounts and where the transfers are once they identify it. Um, Monero is a privacy coin. And if you – statistically where 88% of people aren't using the privacy protocol, so what good is it? Um, that was why I like the Pirate Coin, the R A R R. It, as far as I can tell, is basically a dead project. Um, for example, my my software wallet hasn't been updated in like two years now. Um, but I like that one because that one was like whenever you used it, it was anonymous. Basically, like you could prove transfers happened with your own coins, but that was it. Um, ultimately. I I tell all my clients, and there's now now a question in the uh, IRS tax forms. Did you buy, sell, or trade crypto this year? I tell all my clients, if you did, say yes, because lying on that tax form, if they can prove you lied, it's a big deal. And then if you have income from it, pay taxes on it. Now, you know, between you, me, and the wall, the IRS is going to have a really hard time knowing how much money you made trading crypto. Uh, you are probably going to have a hard time calculating what you made trading crypto, What you know, calculating, okay, I traded this coin for this coin for this coin for this coin for this coin. Did I make money or not? Um, but I, I do know people in the IRS who have basically said, like, if you're paying taxes on your crypto at all… They kind of figure you're in the top 10% of people in terms of how honest you are, so it, you're you're probably a lot less of a worry than again if somebody's picking that box. Yes, I've, I've bought, sold, or trade for 10 years. They don't pay anything. They better just be hodling that stuff because they're going to get audited eventually. But if you say, say, "Oh yeah, I I I did some trading. I had a thousand dollars in capital gains here and five hundred dollars in capital losses here. Here's my 50 bucks in taxes, my hundred bucks in taxes." I think you put yourself in a much lower risk category um, than the average person. Now, if you have a Bitcoin podcast, um, I, I would advise you to you know, maybe be scrupulously honest because I think that's the type of thing the IRS is a little bit more likely to look into. Um, if you have a target on yourself in general, I, I tell people, yeah, be a little bit more careful, be a little bit more conservative because – you know, the average person has a, is, is unlikely to ever be audited in their lifetime. Certain celebrities are pretty likely to be audited every 10 or so years, so take that into account.
0: Well, i have had a few companies that were audited, and yeah, I got through it, and I was kind of shocked at uh, how unprofessional they were, which is, you know, like documentation. They were kind of just telling us, uh, okay, just create this letter for this, this letter for that, which me at the time was weird but i mean they spent uh three weeks two people in the office for something it was a building company that we had we were developing but we didn't have that many invoices and it, for me it was just a case if they were just parking time and, and i'm not sure as it's like that all around the world but i remember thinking this is pathetic the way that they're operating but yeah you know, that's the it's not your turn tur- yeah go on sorry
1: there, there was a, a kind of famous story a few years ago where some somebody filled out a form wrong, and it kind of set off a red flag with the IRS and started investigating, and they put two agents on this guy who spent something like 400 combined hours investigating this guy. And then they opened an audit and spent another like 100 hours, and at the end of the day, he owed $7 in taxes more than he had paid. So you basically had two people spend a full year of their lives on this, over seven dollars. Like I don't think the IRS made its money back on that. One. Um, and now again, like obviously, like that happens just because sometimes they investigate. It's like, oh, this this guy's all clean, it's all fine. Um, but again, at this time they they were targeting him. They thought they had him on something, and they were really digging into it. And it was just like, no. He literally just made a typo when he filled something in, in TurboTax or whatever. And now you guys are freaking out about it when it's just a simple mistake.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm kind of on the same boat as you do legally what you can, but deduct everything that you're allowed and pay as little as possible. Listen, Matthew, I know you've you've shared some fantastic stuff. So how can people get in contact with you?
1: So I've got a special report on business deductions people can download. They can go to agoristtaxadvice.com slash cryptopodcast. So that's agorist, A-G-O-R-I-S-T, taxadvice.com uh, slash cryptopodcast. It's over 60 different business deductions you can take in your business. These are all allowed in the United States, but the vast majority of them are going to be allowable for anybody in the world. That'll put you on my weekly email list so you can hear from me, get more tax advice, get more occasional business advice, Um, and then I send out a link every uh, week or almost every week for people to schedule a phone call with me if they want to talk about hiring me. So that's the best way to get in contact.
0: Excellent. I make sure I put the link, for the audio and the video. And I think I just saw the, the message as well. So I think you give him the link for the book as well, probably. I didn't open it, but I, I yeah, assume. The, yeah, that, that so, was the link for the book. So Yeah, so I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well for those that are in, interested. So thank you very much, Matthew.
1: Very well. Uh, very glad to be here. Thank you.
0: So That's all for the Crypto Podcast. Until next week, you'll find our episodes on the CryptoPodcast.org. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. You'll find everything about me on bio.link forward slash podcaster with all my podcasts, and you'll find it. you see in the QR code in the graphic that's shown. I'd like again to thank my sponsors. So if you or someone you know struggling with anxiety and want to know how to be 100% anxiety-free in six weeks without therapy or drugs, Daniel Packard's Anxiety Solution Program company offers a six-week system that permanently solves anxiety at an astounding 90% success rate. People who join the program only pay at the end, once they have clear, measurable results. If you're interested in learning more, go to PermanentAnxietySolutions.com where you can book a free consultation with Diane. Do you fight blood pressure and or want to get off the meds? Doctors are amazed at what Zona Plus can do. You can get a $50 discount with my code, Roy, zona.com slash discount slash Roy. And you'll see the QR code as well as Daniel's QR code. Quality manufacturer of metal products for telecommunication and workshop equipment and other metal materials. you see the brochure there in the QR code. And let me know if you would like a quotation shipped internationally at very competitive price. I'd like to thank all my sponsors and also all my listeners. Be sure to give me a thumbs up. Five star rating. Share with your friends. Really helps. And I also have a video on how to give a five star rating. Because a lot of people have wrote to me asking me that they don't know how to do that. Until next week. Take care.